Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Dear Young Rocker, remember that time before you actually started playing? There was this specific period that was just wholly defined by longing. You discovered music that made you feel, just made you feel more than you'd ever felt. It was kind of like every emotion at once, with a distinctive melancholy tinge to it. While you listened to that music, your music, you longed. You longed to be closer to the people making the music. You longed to be a cooler version of yourself. Imagining yourself with a tall, thin, Patti Smith-like body that could pull off the androgynous rocker look you wanted complete with the suspenders that just made the real you look like an Oompa Loompa. You longed for your crushes to notice you. You longed for a sibling, specifically a twin who'd just get you. But in that period of longing, and I'll say here, puberty's hormones raging inside of you probably had a lot to do with that feeling. Well, the strongest longing of all That was the longing to just somehow be inside of the music you listened to. You realized you needed to play it to do that. But when you first picked up that old acoustic guitar, it turned out to be a whole lot less satisfying than you'd imagined. Your fingers hurt, and the piles of tabs you'd printed looked impossible. So for a while, you just kept listening to your CD player at night, longing for the world. Lyra Mondal is a fellow bass player, fellow only child, and a former fellow Bostonite, although she's currently living in Austin, Texas. She's played bass and sang in a bunch of projects over the last decade, and I've always felt a little bit of that wonderful longing feeling in her music. Her current band is called Sweeping Promises. Here's Lyra's story. Make sure to stay tuned at the end for a mini interview, too. young rocker. You're a month away from turning 16. It's September 2004, and you're living with your mom in a two-bedroom apartment in Russellville, Arkansas. It's a very, very small town, about a third of the population of Fayetteville, where you moved from two years ago. The lavish Methodist and Baptist churches overshadow the scant handful of dilapidated buildings that make up the downtown. Cow pastures surround the campus of the small state university where your mom works. The only distinguishing feature about Russellville is the nuclear power plant. The constant billowing clouds of steam give you a sense of low-key apocalyptic dread. The skin-coating thickness of the southern summer heat amplifies the stench of smoldering animal flesh coming from the nearby rendering plant. You try to stay indoors as much as you can, which is actually pretty easy to do since you don't have a car. It's not like you really need one anyway. 
The only places worth going to are the Vintage Bookstore and Hastings, the video rental and music store. You've lived in Arkansas all your life. You were born here, and a lot of times you fear you'll die here too. You don't feel very Southern though. For one, you don't have much of an accent. Years of choral singing in various languages, mostly Latin, but sometimes French and German and even Polish, must have stamped it right out. Then there's the fact that your whole family is from Bangladesh. There's not a ton of diversity in Russellville. In the midst of all the tall, thin girls with stick-straight blonde or brunette hair and blue or green eyes, you tend to stick out. Short, curvy, with frizzy black hair, deep brown eyes, and brown skin currently exhibiting an unfortunate breakout of hormonal acne. You spend almost every waking hour alone in your room because your super overprotective mom doesn't really let you hang out with your friends outside of school. You're used to this solitary existence, but it gets really lonely, almost suffocatingly lonely. A lot of the time you feel like there's this big, hot, writhing mass of energy trapped inside of your body, making you so anxious and restless that you could scream. Writing calms you down a little. You dutifully maintain your zanga and have accumulated a small library's worth of spiral-bound notebooks, all filled cover to cover with your haphazard scrawl in various shades of gel pen ink. The one thing that soothes your spirit more than anything, though, is music. Right now, you're really into 80s post-punk and new wave. You have your cool older Gen X half-brother Pablo to thank for that. Four years ago, on your 12th birthday, Pablo gave you a mix CD as a present, which you still keep in heavy rotation in the little silver boombox by your bed. Whenever you glance at the handwritten track list in the CD's jewel case, you recall, with vivid bodily clarity, how you felt the first time you heard those songs. Particularly, I've Seen It All by Bjork. How her hushed, whispery voice emerged out of the speakers, growing in intensity like she was casting a mystical incantation. It made you feel blue. Not like sad blue, like the blues but a dark, inky midnight blue with flashes of silver from Björk's voice and threads of violet and black from the strange, almost menacing horns and strings lurking in and out. You had never experienced such a physical, all-consuming reaction to music before. Ever since, you've been diving deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of similarly atmospheric, cool-color spectrum music which led you to bands like The Cure and New Order, and your current favorite band of all time, Interpol. When you listen to them, all you have to do is close your eyes, and you're suddenly transported a million miles away from your claustrophobic, atrophying, small-town existence. You're grateful to Pablo for showing you this music. If he hadn't, who knows what you'd be listening to? Avril Lavigne? Ashley Simpson? Yikes. You're starting 10th grade this year, but because of the school district's bizarre way of funneling 8th graders with freshmen into junior high, this is your first year in the actual high school building. 
a towering, labyrinthine compound teeming with cross-armed coaches and intimidating, dagger-eyed upperclassmen. You're a little freaked, but also cautiously optimistic. Over the summer, you've been cultivating your indie kid image in hopes that it would lend another facet to your identity beyond nerdy brown AP choir girl with glasses. It's not that you're ashamed you make good grades or that you're a choir kid. You're proud of it, actually. Your mom always jokes about how you sang before you could talk. Sometimes, though, you get the impression that she's a little too enthusiastic about your singing. You cringe as you recall that time she made you sing Manic Monday by the Bangles in front of a bunch of strangers in the cosmetics aisle of a Walmart when you were five. <sighs> as you prepare for your first day as a sophomore, you go over your mental checklist for fitting into an acceptable subculture. Messenger bag? Check. Horn-rimmed glasses? Check. Dramatic side part that conveniently covers up the weird hairline you inherited from your dad that you've been self-conscious of ever since a boy in kindergarten asked if you burned the rest of your hair off your forehead? Check. You're also excited to debut what has become the single most important article of clothing in your wardrobe. The blazer. Your mom bought you the brown metallic pinstripe jacket on clearance at Kohl's all the way in Conway. And you've covered the lapels and one-inch pins of your favorite bands. Interpol, The Cure, Joy Division. You hope that with your unique new look, you'll attract the attention of all the cool older kids without actually having to go up and, you know, talk to them first. It's been a few months, and to your chagrin, The Blazer has not fulfilled its promise of conveying your supremely cultured personality to the cooler juniors and seniors whose approval you so desperately desire. It's also developed a bit of a funk from near-constant wear, so you ditch it in favor of your latest sartorial obsession, fishnet tights. You've been reading a lot of Bram Stoker and Poe and Mary Shelley and wanting to incorporate a little goth into your style. But the only store that sells any of that stuff is Hot Topic, which is almost 80 miles away in Little Rock. So, you make do with a few pairs of fishnet tights from Target. You're not pale enough to be goth anyways. It's the first football game of the season, and you've been roped into singing at a pep rally, once again, in front of the entire school. Last year in junior high, you made the quasi-mistake of agreeing to sing at a pep rally, thus cementing your status as a willing ambassador of school spirit in the eyes of every principal and teacher burdened with organizing such events. You had chosen to sing the song Hands by Jewel, singing along to a karaoke CD in front of all of the 8th and 9th graders. It wasn't the first time you'd done something like that, You'd also sung the national anthem before a football game and had solos in school musicals and Christmas concerts. And it's not like you made a complete fool of yourself. A bunch of kids actually came up to you afterwards to say how well you did, which was pretty satisfying. But the excitement of getting to sing in front of a bunch of people almost immediately wore off the moment you started analyzing the fact that you were singing a cheesy pop song along to a karaoke CD. 
it ended up feeling like a bit of a letdown, like wasted potential. But aside from the occasional solo and choir, these rah-rah school spirit events are your only real opportunity to get in front of an audience. You're not good at sports. You are the opposite of athletic. And you don't dance or take gymnastics like many of the popular girls in school. Singing is the one thing that you're good at, and these pep rallies feel like your only chance to show everyone what you can do. You might as well take it, right? You grip the edge of your seat as you wait for the student council president to introduce you, mindlessly pumping your leg up and down like you're full of springs about to pop off at any moment. This time, you've decided to perform the 90s pop classic Kiss Me by Sixpence None the Richer. And in what you perceive to be a totally clever move, you've chosen to wear the school's colors, red and black, in the form of a grunge-inspired red and black plaid skirt, red and black striped fishnet tights, and your Interpol band tee with the red and black album art from Turn On The Bright Lights. You wanted to give off the impression that you're happy to take one for the team, but just a little too cool for it. Finally, they call your name. Your pulse starts to accelerate as a familiar warm sensation spreads throughout your body. You always get it when you're about to perform. You take a deep, steadying breath, glide towards the microphone, and take it off its stand. During the jangly instrumental bridge, without thinking about it, you sashay back and forth across the shiny hardwood gym floor, twirling the mic cable with a flourish. You feel like you're on a giant stage, owning the space. Your mind is completely clear, and you feel weightless, bold, powerful. You glance flirtatiously over your shoulder at the crowd, thrilled that they're all watching you. A captive audience. Some of your friends clap and cheer, and one of your choir mates lets out an impassioned woo! When the song ends, everyone applauds with varying degrees of politeness and amusement. Reality sets in with a dizzying speed. You're not on stage of a grand concert hall, but on the squeaky floor of your school's sweaty gym. You spy an empty seat in the nearby corner of the bleachers and dart towards it, plunging yourself back into anonymity. No one even commented on your inspired red and black ensemble. It's now October 2005. You're in your junior year of high school, and you've convinced your two best friends, Ellen and Alyssa, to start a band with you. Ellen and Alyssa are both in your English, French, and newspaper classes. Ellen's quiet and laid back, really good at drawing, and dances in the drill team. You're also in choir together. Alyssa's originally from Cincinnati, which she talks about all the time. She has a quick, bitingly sarcastic sense of humor that you find extremely funny. You used to think she was a little too intense, but then you started talking in newspaper class and you figured out that you both like the yeah, yeah, yes. You don't have a name for the band yet, but that's unimportant. There's a talent show in the spring. You figure you have plenty of time to come up with a name by then. You're on the floor in Ellen's living room, sprawled out on the soft, grayish tan carpet. Ellen's cat, Romy, stretches out by the window, completely uninterested in the musical goings-on. 
You've brought over some guitar tabs you printed at home in purple ink, as well as your beginner's acoustic guitar that you begged your dad to get you from Guitar Center last year after seeing Interpol and The Cure in Dallas. It was your first ever rock concert. You went with your mom, of course. Sometimes you still can't believe it really happened that you actually heard Interpol play Obstacle One live in the same space as you. You swore to yourself right then and there that you'd learn how to play guitar just like Paul Banks. Obstacle One is among the pile of tabs you brought over, along with some songs by the Pixies. Alyssa immediately calls dibs on bass, since she actually has one. As the lead singer, you've assumed rhythm guitarist duties. Ellen's on lead with her brother's acoustic. You don't have a drummer yet, but you're sure you'll find one later. You fantasize about how cool you'll look, wearing some amazing outfit while you're actually playing an instrument instead of just singing along to a backing track. Maybe you'll even write your own original songs. Maybe you'll finally catch the eye of your cute chemistry partner who you've had a crush on for more than a year. He'll be powerless against your siren song, dump his girlfriend, and join your band as you harmonize sweetly to throngs of adoring fans. After a few hours of practicing, your fingers start to hurt from pressing down so hard on the guitar strings. You've learned a few chords, but your efforts don't sound anything like the actual songs, and you can't figure out why. You've listened to these songs hundreds of times. They're etched into your whole being, to the point where you can hum the guitar and bass lines at the drop of the hat. So why can't you play them? You're surprised at how disappointed you are, and you try to talk yourself down from your irrational mental cliff. Of course we weren't going to master these songs in a few hours, you think. But the feeling of defeat remains within you with a sense of crushing finality. Ellen and Alyssa don't seem as bothered by your band's lack of talent. They weren't really interested in turning this into a project that plays live shows. It was more of an excuse to hang out. Ellen turns on MTV2, which is playing the video for Maps by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. You're transfixed by Carano's wild costume and stage presence, how she brandishes her microphone like a sword while marching in place, tears streaming down her cheeks. She looks confident and powerful. God, I wish I could do that, you think. But how? After a few months, you bounce back from the disappointment of that ill-fated band practice. You recently made second chair in the all-state choir competition as an alto too, and with renewed confidence, you decide to go out for the school talent show solo. You choose Linger by the Cranberries, a song you've loved ever since you were a little kid. It's full of gorgeous, soaring melodies that fit your voice like a glove. As the instrumental backing track fades out, you give a goofy curtsy to the audience and exit the stage with a huge grin on your face. Nailed it! The next act begins setting up. It's a band. The lead singer and guitarist is this older kid, Everett, who's dating one of your choir friends, Caitlin. He and the other guys in the band are all dressed in standard scene kid attire. Super skinny black jeans, white belts, spiky, side-swept hair... 
They're playing an original song, and you listen intently, tapping your fingers against your thighs to the propulsive rhythm of the music. They're good. They kind of sound like The Cure, or a darker version of The Strokes. As you watch them, you feel an overwhelming jumble of emotions. Admiration, jealousy, frustration. Why is it that it's almost always guys in bands making the kind of music that you like? How can they afford to buy electric guitars? Where did they learn how to write something so catchy? How is this happening in Russellville? You've heard of this place called Fort Delicious, somewhere across town. It's where all the punk kids play. Alyssa's friends with some of the people in that scene, but you're too shy to approach them. Or Everett. Or anyone. Your mom would never let you go to those shows anyway. She won't even let you spend the night at Ellen's house. Later that evening, you're back in your room, trying to console yourself by listening to Interpol's Turn On The Bright Lights. There's one song on the second half of the album called Stella Was A Diver And She Was Always Down that's your absolute favorite. When you go to bed, you listen to it with headphones on because you can't get enough of the way the two guitars alternate back and forth from the left ear to the right and how the bass lines are all slinky and groovy and really high up on the neck one moment, then spaced out and deep the next. You want to live inside this song, to lie in it and let it soak into every pore of your body until you're completely saturated by it. You stare at the ceiling, dimly lit by the warm, sparkly glow of your glitter lamp, and ponder what it is about this music that makes you love it so fervently. You glance at the old Yamaha keyboard on the other side of the room. You've had it since childhood, back when your mom could afford piano lessons in Fayetteville. Now it just gathers dust lying on the floor by that awful practice acoustic guitar. Sometimes you'll mess around on the keyboard, and you'll happen upon a melody that you think sounds kind of good, but when you try to flush it out, it's like your brain and your fingers belong to two different bodies. You hear the music in your head, but you just can't make it happen. You let out a heavy sigh and pick up your journal. I wish I could write a song like this, you scribble. I wish I could play something. I wish I could do something. Dear young rocker, you have just as much talent as those boys in that talent show band. You simply need to develop it. It's not going to happen in a single afternoon or by passively wishing for the ability to play an instrument. You're going to have to spend some time learning and practicing, stumbling around and inevitably feeling a little foolish before you get beyond that initial awkward stage of not knowing how to play. I know you don't like to fail, so you stick to doing what you know how to do because it's safe. But if you really want to learn how to play an instrument, you're going to have to figure out how to move through those failure feelings rather than let them totally derail you and discourage you from trying harder. You're a born performer, 
Although at this point in time, you don't know to what extent. Right now, the only release you have from your restlessness is through singing. You love choir for the sense of community it brings you, and you obligingly sign up to sing at those school-wide events. But you feel dorky about it because you're not wholly content to just sing along to other people's words and melodies. You want to make your mark on the world with your voice alone. But because you're a shy kid who can't get out of her own head, you don't really know how or where to begin. The thought of writing songs, of composing, seems daunting to you, and you're afraid you'll never figure out how to express yourself. Ask yourself what it is about music that you love, why your favorite songs bring you so much joy, why you feel the urge to get up in front of a bunch of people and belt out pop songs, Is it the deep emotional connection you feel to the music that you just don't get from anyone else in your life? Is it that feeling of sublime release like when you sang Kiss Me at the pep rally? Is it because it makes you feel like you're not tied down to this small town in the middle of nowhere? Whatever it is, you should try your best to figure it out. The more you understand yourself and what motivates you, the better you'll be able to create situations that allow those feelings to flourish. I think one of the reasons why you were so frustrated that you couldn't learn those Interpol songs in one afternoon is because you thought your obsession with the music would translate to an immediate, automatic ability to play. That was a bit of magical thinking on your part. It doesn't work quite like that. Just because you love a band or a style of music doesn't mean you automatically understand how to make that kind of music. It's going to take some effort, but you'll get there eventually. And as your tastes and knowledge broaden, you'll learn more about what you like and why you like it. You'll learn the difference between copying and creating, between merely repeating what someone else has done before and taking something that you love and making it your own in a new way. You're a really cool kid, and just as beautiful as those other girls. And screw the whole not pale enough to be goth crap. You can wear whatever you want, regardless of what you look like. But you shouldn't just rely on how you look or dress in order to make friends. As with music, making friends takes some effort. You can't depend on others to read your mind and figure out how awesome you are just by looking at you and vice versa. I know you know this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Looks aren't everything. Talk to people. Make new friends. Reach out to the people you think are interesting. Chances are, they think you're interesting too. I love how deeply you're moved by music and that you listen with your whole body. Hang on to that open way of listening. It's going to help you in your own songwriting endeavors. Also, Spoiler alert, you do make it out of Arkansas, and you do learn how to play an instrument. It's the bass. That's right. You will one day enter the pantheon of cool girl bassists. And because I know you're curious, there's a really cool guitar player who you'll meet through playing bass, and you two are gonna fall in love. I know you're feeling lost and powerless and totally alone right now, but I promise you, you're going to be okay. You've got a bright future ahead of you, 
one full of the music you love and the music you make. I'm so excited for you to unleash your powers. Hang in there, little Lyra. I love you. It was a delight to hear Lyra's story, and I just had to ask her about how the process felt for her. We had a good conversation about the whole thing, including being only children, that I think you might enjoy too. Here it is. So tell me a little bit about this process for you of thinking about your younger self and talking to her. How did it feel? for you? This project, this process of talking to little Lyra was um, just a lot more all-consuming than I thought it was going to be. I just immediately was transported back into her world and especially having been removed from it for so long it was astonishing to me how easily I was able to conjure these feelings of loneliness and feeling out of place and feeling like I couldn't do anything, you know, just this enervation and um, just inability to translate what was going on inside my head into something that I could share or even just, you know, understand And I think a lot of that inevitably had to do with just the events of the past year and of the pandemic and and staying inside, quarantining. But um, I guess I'm just, I'm so, even though looking back, it was really painful in some ways, it was mostly just really um, life-affirming to see where I'd you know, how far I'd come. And just, it was really, it it meant a lot to me to talk to her and tell her, you know, you have no idea what is just around the corner for you. And I just, you know, if I could, I would have gone back in time and, you know, told her all of these crazy things because I don't think she would have believed me. But, um, you know, I, I carry her with me every day. I mean, she is me. So, um, yeah, this, this has been, This has been quite the excavation, (laughs) I guess. Awesome. Oh, I love that word for it, excavation. Because, like, you never know. You kind of have an idea of what you're going to find, but then when it actually comes up and you look at it, you're like, wow, I'm feeling so many um, forgotten but not forgotten, uh, misplaced feelings, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Misplaced or just, you know, covered up and they're never really gone away, but they're still there. And then, of course, as you're starting to write, and I'm, you know, I'm sure that you completely understand this. It's like you start to get this flood of more and more memories. And then all of a sudden you just feel yourself where you were in that time. And it's a little, it's just a little overwhelming. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, It's awesome hearing other people's stories. It's a good reminder for me of how I felt when I first started when I first started doing this, because like at this point, I can just 
I can just like bust it out kind of. I can be like, okay, we're going to write about whatever heavy topic. And I've I've gotten used to just sitting down and doing it. But I remember the afternoons like spent on the floor crying when I first started doing this. And pretty much everyone who's done this so far has told me, wow, like I really had to relive a little bit of trauma. Oh, and yeah. You know, eventually, like it goes, it eventually it feels good to like wring it out. But when you do it at first, like it's, yeah, it's a big deal. So I appreciate it. And I hope that, like me, you got something out of it. So do you feel like you have some more insight and some more compassion for your younger self? Yes. I, you know, I just, I want to go back there and I want to hold her hand and tell her, you know, you're actually not as crazy and weird and, you know, all those negative things that you think about yourself. They're just simply not true. And I just want to give her a big hug and tell her that it's going to be okay. Oh, I know. Oh my God. I'm like Ugh. tearing up. I know. I, I am too. Especially, and I don't know, I mean, because you're an only child too, right? So, I mean, as you know, my situation is like a little bit weird because I'm the only girl and my mom's the only child. I have a bunch of stepbrothers and a couple of half-brothers, but I, I grew up on my own. Like, And so I, I desperately wanted a sister and, you know, you know, when Parent Trap came out, I was just thinking, what if I had a long-lost twin somewhere who's just this other part of me who understands where I am? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. I wanted a twin so bad. Oh, my God. That was, like, my biggest recurring daydream. Yeah. Because to put it as mildly as possible, like, you just have, like, no one to complain about your parents with. You have no one. Mm -hmm. You have no one who totally gets it and you don't really want to bring your friends into that and like talk about that with them no yeah I again I don't know about you but I even then and still to this day I had you know really close friends and you know at the time you'd call them your best friend but I, there was still just this idea of holding back and not being able to fully be yourself. And especially when you're younger, you don't really have the tools of communication that are very sophisticated to express this, you know, deep longing that you have. And so you, of course, form bonds over things like music or other media or just, you know, the very fact that you're in the same place at the same time. And that can be enough, but it just never was for me. And it wasn't until I got older that I, you know, sort of was aware of this, like, this need to find, you know, another part of me and someone else. And then, of course, you realize, well, you know, no one can ever fulfill every, you know, lack that you have. And you've got to learn to, you know, be who you are for yourself. But especially back then, I just thought, oh, my God, like, I just... Nobody sees me. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a strange combination being an only child. Like, you're forced to be super supportive, like super self-supportive, and you would never admit that you really wish you had someone else with you, but you still, like, dream about it. But then you know, like, you hear the stories of people whose sibling relationships as a kid, like, were really difficult and made their young lives, like, really tough. So I understand, like, the grass is always greener. But but it's a very specific type of—it's it's a specific type of loneliness. 
It is, yeah. And I guess the other thing about just, you know, reliving those feelings is, you know, at the time, I definitely wanted to change everything about who I was. And, you know, now it's, and especially with, you know, working on this piece, you just realize, you know, everything, and this is so cliche, but it's true. Everything happened for a reason. And if you had changed just one little thing, who knows what it could have snowballed into. Yeah, it's funny. Like you, you end up appreciating the mistakes and the things that went wrong because if you like where you're at now, who knows where else you might be. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad we're both here today. Yeah, same. Again, Lyra's band is Sweeping Promises. Please check out their debut album, Hunger as a Way Out. It is so good. Find it wherever you get music, and if you like it, please consider purchasing it on Bandcamp. Lyra also wanted to give a shout-out to the organization called Trust Tree, which is based near where she grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Trust Tree puts together music and arts camps for girls, and Lyra recommends listeners check them out and support them at trusttree.org. Till next time, rockers. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, we'll hear about one of the toughest transitions in life, especially if you're different, the one from middle school to high school. Guest writer Katie Lau tells us how she survived being singled out and found the one thing she wanted to be known for. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis and iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was created and is produced, written, and hosted by me, Chelsea Erson. I also created the theme song. Colin Fleming helps with sound design and mixing, and Auto Clamor provides editing and production assistance. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please let me know by sending in a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also hang out with me virtually by following at Dear Young Rocker on Instagram. Please do not hesitate to send me a message there. And also follow Double Elvis for news about all of our new cool music podcasts. And if you'd like some snazzy DYR buttons or a t-shirt, go to doubleelvis.com slash shop. As always, the best thing you could ever do for this show is to share it with someone who you think would like it. Or just everyone you've ever met. Thanks, rockers. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.